This is Film Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You know, we sit here like a couple of regular fellas. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at, but why they like it, but they'll know they want it. everyone and welcome in to episode 211 of film tank alex diegman here along with my friends nick cheney hey and also sam shamara joining us on this episode hello again hello again you're you've become such a regular contributor that you're not even a guest really anymore you're just part of the group yeah you're here even when tucson's not <laughs> i feel very loved thank uh-huh. you all you should. Uh-huh. So, uh, with that, Toussaint, uh, not able to join us on this episode, but... Um, we miss you, buddy. I was going to say, we, we, we miss him, and we miss uh, hopefully we'll catch up with him uh, when we talk about Love Actually in our next episode. Oh, yes. That'll be very interesting. Will it, though? <laughs> I think so. Well. I think I still quite like that movie, and I know you have the opinions on it, so... Sure do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have you ever seen Love Actually? I have not. Okay. You're not missing out <laughs> uh it has definitely not aged well and it may have not been good it when was it was stillborn <laughs> talk about not aging well <laughs> the title is literally a man uh, like a mansplaining version of a what a romantic comedy should sound like uh, uh, love actually just no gonna be a great episode i can tell ah so that's coming up next week on episode 212 but um, palindrome yes i love those okay but on this, <laughs> anywho on this episode god damn it Nick. what stillborn ah <laughs> uh, well, it's funny when you say it it was funny when you said it oh you so we're talking about the new Ryan Johnson film, Knives Out. Knives Out. I don't know. Okay, you're prepared. I took out my knives. I was going to say, you had a very Wolverine move there. Yeah. So that was pretty great. And also, remember that people can't see you doing that action. I feel like they can, So while though. we got to see what a beautiful like interpretation that was, Thank you. N- nobody Thank else you. would know. Oh, I feel like they can see it, though, in their mind's eye. Like, we... <laughs> I, here's here's the thing. When people, well, you have to at least describe in dead it. Silence. Well, yeah. When, when people listen to this podcast, here's what I imagined: um, uh, <laughs> very very few clothing, and frankly, I feel like they probably completely like can I like identify with me and like picture everything I do. Sure. On, on almost like a psychic level that I don't you know ever need to. Hmm. Explain it, but I can understand where the confusion's coming from. Certainly, hmm. yes. Sure. 
So, Knives Out hey. is a detective uh, a detective film uh, where a detective investigates the death of a patriarch of an eccentric, combative family. So, the film, uh, as I mentioned, directed by Ryan Johnson, who previously directed uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi, and also directed Looper, and a film uh, he did early in his directorial days, which is called Brick, Yep, which I have not seen, but uh, a lot of people have said is very good. Very good. Yes. So anyways, he is back doing a whodunit uh, <laughs> that stars Daniel Craig and a bunch of other people along the way, including Chris Evans, Anna DeArmas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Lakeith Stanfield, uh, Catherine Langford, and also Christopher Plummer. Yeah. They were all there. They were, and they were. some other people, too, yeah. that are lesser known, but um, all those people were there. I think like mostly the people from the poster. So uh, yeah. yeah. I think we should say, really quickly, mm-hmm. I think this happens once every 50 episodes or so, mm. where we talk about a movie that I think everybody is in agreement that, like, if you haven't seen it, we encourage you to watch it before you listen Okay. To, to this episode. I agree. Like, I'm very spoiler fuck it. Like, I don't care. And so most of the time I'm like, eh. But then every once in a while I do see something where I'm like, you, even I will, like, really quickly put that out there and say, even I'm recommending that if you plan to watch it, watch it first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we're going to start talking about it. I would agree. I mean, I think this might not be in the same wheelhouse as something like fight club where if you knew the whole plot line beforehand it would kind of ruin the twist no i mean nothing i mean obviously this is just getting into the nature of twists there's nothing about this movie that knowing it will somehow ruin your viewing experience because i think one thing we're going to talk about is how i think we all agree that for the most part the ending is so good that it doesn't actually change what you saw it only complements everything you saw mm-hmm. therefore mm-hmm. watching it again or watching it if you already know it will still be a great experience and whatever but if you want to truly be in the dark you're only going to have that opportunity once and yeah. this is definitely a fun movie that tries to play with your lack of information agreed i would 100 percent be on board with what you're saying yeah um and i will get into some of my feelings on uh the twist and that kind of thing do you want me just to just go right ahead. Just I mean, you got your knives out. <laughs> okay. I'm going to keep a tally of how many times he tries to fit that in. Okay. It's going to well, take more than... challenging me. More than a front and back <laughs> of a piece of paper, probably. So, uh, I was a fan. I thought Knives Out was very good. Uh, I was very excited for this film. Uh, I've been a fan of Ryan Johnson films. I haven't seen Brick. And I actually think Looper is slightly overrated. Um, but I really liked The Last Jedi. I thought it was very good. Um, I'm in the camp that that is a very good film, unlike some other people who think it's shit. Um, but I think it's actually quite good. Um, and I believe I gave that a five-star rating. So I'm a huge fan. Loved his work on that. And was very excited for him to make this particular film. Um, because although this is still a, you know, pretty decent Hollywood production. This is certainly a much more intimate story than something like a Star Wars space epic is. This feels like his movie 
yeah. in a way that oh, yeah. something like Star Wars never can, even though you can feel his influence mm-hmm. on, in the Star Wars, but it's it can only be that much. Sure, yeah. He's he's doing a job for a studio, right? and he has some parts into it, but exactly like Nick is saying, yeah. So I was a little concerned after the first trailer, which has been kind of a theme this year where the first trailer comes out and it is just not that good. And it seemed like the first trailer for this film really just did not hit the tone of what the actual film ended up being, in my opinion. So I was nervous about that. But then just like with the Irishman where buzz started to come about after the initial reviews were coming out and then even more buzz came and then all of a sudden like it's pretty much not exactly but it's pretty much universal acclaim for this film just like with the irishman so most everyone who went to go see it thought it was very good it has earned nominations already really Mm -hmm. yeah golden gloves just came out yep okay yep so did Jojo Rabbit. So Well, to be fair to the Golden Globe, I mean, I did not like that movie, so I don't think it should have been nominated. <laughs> but at least to explain it, remember Golden Globes does drama and comedy. That's true. Yes. So technically speaking, I think that's why something like Knives Out and Jojo Rabbit get nominated. Not because they don't deserve it. Well, Jojo doesn't. Uh, <laughs> but because there is a category for things that are not quote-unquote serious art. Right. Yeah. It's Musical true. and comedy, yes. quote unquote. Just like The Martian. Yeah. One of the funniest movies <laughs> I've ever seen. Honestly, I love the opera in the middle of it. Like, just mm, perfect. I still do uh, really appreciate Ridley Scott's acceptance speech for that when he just literally said, I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, oh, that was great. He's a good dude. He's <laughs> yeah. yeah. a good dude. He's a hit or miss film director. So Knives Out uh, really caught my attention in the opening uh, 10 minutes. Um, I actually believe that the first part of this film is actually the best part of the film. I loved the opening interviews where all of the characters are going in for their one-on-one with um, the two cops who are investigating the story and also Daniel Craig, who's kind of in the background very much giving a Perot-type performance uh, where he's just kind of trying to view in the background and be this guy who looks very, I don't want to say suspicious, but everyone who sees him is like, who is this guy? I mean, everyone even makes mention then, who the fuck is that? Like, uh, mm-hmm. they just don't know who this is. He's not announcing himself. And then he starts talking. He has this really silly southern accent um that actually is quite good as played by daniel craig um but that opening scene was a real tone setter for the rest of the film for me because i really enjoyed hearing everyone's story just start falling apart as they talk more and the idea of everyone saying i don't really want to talk about family business and then like three minutes later they're just giving every single detail mm-hmm. um especially michael shannon who's just like yeah or no uh, it was don johnson in that particular scene that was just willing just to give up every single detail that could possibly not implicate him into the murder and also not um make it clear that he's cheating on his wife mm-hmm. oh boy but just like in doing so though uh, the more they think that they're clearing their own name, the more they're damning themselves for mm-hmm. the most part. Yep. Um, and that was just the start 
and then we see the real film begin after those opening scenes and just from there it was just truly wonderful to see how the entire film progresses um every little detail i feel like comes back in one way or another throughout the film uh and i think it'll take repeat viewings to confirm exactly uh how crisp that is but just the small details that are mentioned in the opening interviews and also throughout the film and the way that they weave back and forth throughout the story is just absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, And also too, what's really awesome about this movie is it is very funny. Um, And we were in a pretty full theater and there were quite a few laughs and it wasn't like, you know, poor at laughs where people are rolling around on the floor laughing, but people were enjoying this movie. rolling around on the floor during Borat. Uh, yes. Whoa. I know. Like, do they have something wrong, like indigestion? <laughs> um, I have never seen a group Worms. of people laughing as much as I saw uh, when I saw Borat. 2006 time. was a wild time. That was different. <laughs> yeah. I watched that uh, earlier this year, and I still think it does have its moments. But yeah, I mean, it, there's always, it's a sketch movie, so there are yeah. good movies, or good, yeah, good moments throughout yeah, the, the scene where Borat and Azamat are naked fighting each other in the uh, <laughs> in the bedroom um, and fighting over the do they have a dildo or something like that yeah I think so um, and they end up in the lobby and they're running through a they, like people were literally out of their chairs on the floor like just grabbing their chests as they're like almost having a heart attack from laughing so much in a, in a naked man <laughs> Yep. It'll get any of those hearts going too fast. <laughs> How do they come up with this? Yeah. I I honestly had never seen anything like it. Like it was no, I incredible. Completely, I mean, like it was it was, the whole theater was and it was the biggest theater at Cantera, like to the brim full and people just dying laughing through the entire film and you know, that shit's contagious, so oh, yeah. you're just laughing even yeah. more because everyone else is laughing. Oh, man, it's crazy. So anyways, this oh, was yeah. not that. Yeah. This was much more reserved, but also appropriately laughing at the correct moments um, and enjoying what the script was giving to them. Um, I was very much so as well. But what I was going to get to is that I feel like there was actually a good story at the heart here of, and it's not just about the idea of this person who's not even an immigrant but still is treated like one um just being a good person and being a nice person and not necessarily that that means that someone should have to leave you their entire estate or that they should um but at the same time just being a good person just in general is a really good thing to do and it will get you in good standing in every relationship that you have, whether it be with your employer or with the police or with your family or with your friends. Um, It's good to be truthful and honest and nice and um, being anything other than that is um, just a way to misery. And um, I thought this film hit that a little bit over the head. And I think it was wonderful because that's just reality is that, being nice and kind and good is the path to success and to make yourself happy. And um, I got to say that ending shot here of this film is absolutely just wonderful with her on the, you know, elevated porch and all the family members on the driveway waiting for their 
Ubers to come take them away from their house they don't own anymore. And she pulls out the um, my, my house, house, my rules, rules, my coffee mug from earlier in the mm-hmm. film. And that was just fantastic. I mean, that is a great walk-off moment um, in a film that had so many nice little moments like that. Um, just the conversations between her and Christopher Plummer um, in that scene were, were so good. I mean, it's easy to joke about Christopher Plummer as he was recast in that terrible Kevin Spacey debacle and that um, All the Money in the World movie. Do you remember that or not? No, I, uh, I may have like blocked it from my oh, okay. memory. Uh, just small context, but it was a movie that Kevin Spacey was cast in and then all the Me Too shit happened and mm-hmm. they removed him from the movie and reshot all the scenes with him with Christopher Plummer. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it became... Mm. It, it was... Um, definitely parodied often uh and it's yeah. he's he's become a little bit unfortunately of kind of a running joke with that then now um but at the same time he's giving a really solid performance here definitely. and um those scenes with him and um Anna de Armas yes. or Marta I was just gonna, I was trying to remember her name in the film <laughs> Marta um were just wonderful because I feel like he genuinely does just want to have think of the best for his family and does that mean not giving them anything does that mean what what does that mean and of course it comes off as he's this evil terrible person but he's he pretty much given them every opportunity to if he did that like if his will left them everything like he's already did that all his life so they don't really need that to begin with whether they're good or bad so they haven't he's not really taking anything away from them right but that's all they can see it as the some loss you know gain and whatnot. yeah Mm -hmm. well and just the just the fervor and the bullying and the um, that scene with Michael Shannon and her was definitely very uncomfortable. In the apartment? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Where he's walking in and he's kind of, he's got his cane, so he's got that like, he keeps pounding yeah, it. he keeps yeah. pounding it on the ground and he just talking to her as if he's trying to have this kind of ownership type thing happening. But the transaction's already happened, basically, okay. yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. He also, yeah. I, I think there was an, a great movement in the the blocking of that scene of like him getting closer mm-hmm. with like every like every so many lines if you will and like as he got closer and closer like that was it became more unnerving oh, yeah. especially i mean as a woman like that's something that in a small hallway like that's one of the last things i want to encounter yeah. is someone being a little bit more aggressive yes um about like their financial means mm-hmm. um and i think and telling you what you should do right mm-hmm. that's always yes. fun <laughs> <laughs> um but that i think there was something even like the lighting of everything in that particular scene was really well done that it could have it could have gone so far south with like that moment, but it was still, it didn't become morbid and it didn't become too dark, but it still had that resonating like tone and mood of it that there was something like, it was an appealing scene hmm. as I don't know if that's the correct word for it. No, it was, it was, <laughs> it, it delivered on what it was going for, yes. I think. Yes. Um, so I've got, obviously, as we say often on this episode, a lot more to get into about this film. Uh, there are particular characters I liked 
um, even more than others, obviously Daniel Craig, and I, I want to get into a little bit about Don Johnson's character too mm-hmm. a little bit later, but I'll pass it off to whoever wants to go next. Oh, that's, oh, I see. I, I didn't oh. see what this was. Sure. <clears throat> you go first. Okay. <laughs> Toussaint. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, knives out. Yes. Getting the knives out. Put the forks away, children. <laughs> it's knives time. <laughs> okay. Um, All right, start. All right. Yeah, we're 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 rolling here. Who wants a spoon? <laughs> <laughs> ah, knives out. A film by Ryan Johnson. <laughs> what if I do this for the whole episode? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised I, at all. I, I, you were not prepared. I, I contribute literally nothing. Uh, anyway, I'm getting. Uh, here we go. He didn't see the film. Knives. <laughs> That's what my guess is. This, this uh, is this is like someone trying to write out. a paper about something in in uh, school. But maybe it's gotta be like middle school. Oh, they never read Knives Out's a really really good book where they talk about knives and they they're out. <laughs> I mean, they're right there. <laughs> For you, you know, you hit it on the head. I, was I want to say, say yep. I wanted you know, to write a really good C minus paper. Some of the symbolism <laughs> concerning the knives and and the way that they were placed within the mise en scène, uh, oftentimes very outwardly. You could literally uh, actually have a discussion about this if you actually yeah. wanted to. Okay, I genuinely will start over now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, what is the deal with these knives? <laughs> anyway, shit. That was, I, way, so. that was what? The ending. The ending of the climax of the film was great. Oh, this? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you were doing With the, the physical knives. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. yes. Yep. I love this movie. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I kind of mentioned it a bit on the podcast, but I'm a huge parlor mystery fan. I mean, Agatha Christie is one of my favorite authors. Murder on the Orient Express is one of my top like five favorite books. Ever I was written. I was gonna say you definitely liked that more than most people when that came out a couple of years. Just ago. because of my affection for the source material, yep. you know. So yeah, you lock people in a room and you ask me to figure out who has done it. Oh, I will do my dastardly best to figure it out as well. <laughs> Alex, give me a look, mm. and I'm giving mm. him one too. And this, <laughs> the awkward this, tension is. I just got back from vacation yesterday, so you know I'm still like jet lagged, so, so but it's so, like car lagged. Just you didn't fly. <laughs> you also came from the tame, same the tame, the tame the, 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 time, time zone. God, you came from the same time zone. God. Yeah, but it Which was the like... <laughs> uh. All right, here we go. Knives out. <laughs> No, um, I absolutely love that Ryan Johnson has concocted, uh, I would say, a stellar entry into this kind of subgenre. Because beyond just a mystery film, it is a you know whodunit, power mystery, that kind of thing. Um, and I think Agatha Christie and the likes would be proud if they were alive to view something like this. Um, part of that is because Ryan Johnson understands how. The simplest of these kind of mysteries are structured and, and what made them classics uh, before, you know, today. And in understanding that structure, he's also able to then replicate it and then deconstruct it to the point where it is no longer, it, it doesn't become unrecognizable, 
but it starts to weaponize its own internal logic against you because of your familiarity with the genre. So, for example, when 20 minutes in, we see who the killer is, and we then see what that means for the entire movie. Um, it, our expectations have already been upended because we were looking for the wrong thing. And then it becomes this, you know, I don't remember the last time I've seen one of these um, mysteries in which you are on the edge of your seat because you don't want it to be solved. I mean, can you think of the last time someone made a mystery this good but then also baked it naturally into the plot that the end game, at least as you know it from the beginning, that if it gets solved would actually be the worst possible thing for maybe the only pure character in this movie. Like, that is like a mindfuck, you know, in and of itself, completely kind of turning the genre on its head. And we've seen similar things like... um, one of the most famous American detectives of all time, Columbo, uh, that that show famously has cold openings where you actually see who the killer is, and then you just watch 90 minutes of how Columbo will figure it out. And, and that show was great because it kind of had that mentality too that as long as you write a good mystery, the ending is not as important where it's placed as it is just watching somebody do their job so well that you're trying to keep up with them. And, of course, uh, Benoit Blanc's character here is in the same camp where uh, he's always on his game but also doesn't really ever steal the show in in a good way. And I kind of like that because I thought there was a chance of that based on, like, that first trailer and whatnot just from the name alone, you know what I mean? Like, But I kind of like the fact that, like, you know, literally, as we had talked about already, like, he was introduced in the background, you know, and he's there already for at least a few minutes before anyone even comments on his presence. And so I think that's kind of, in a nutshell, what's great about that character and kind of what this film is doing. Um, But Alex, you mentioned the other thing that I also loved about this movie was that a lot of people are focusing, for good reason, on the commentary on immigration and whatnot and class warfare and it this movie does all that pretty well to the point where it's very effectively goes hand in hand with this mystery but at the end of the day the thing i was most taken by was that it was a true good versus not evil but just bad you know Mm -hmm. and and that there is a difference between the two and it's not what you say it's what you do that defines who you are and and that's the family in a nutshell because some of them are I mean, they they are spread across the political spectrum, so some of them are actual, quote-unquote, liberals, (laughs) and yet they're in no way proponents of what they spout off. You know, like, they would turn on a dime on the very ideologies they pretend to have because they only have that luxury because they can afford it. (laughs) And the moment that it's not, you know, it's it's less valuable than their own... uh, cultural currency it just doesn't fucking matter and and i love that throughout the kind of first act before the family starts to turn on marta after the will is read and whatnot we just get the most passive aggressive picturesque relationships between this rich white family and this um employee of of their father and the way that, A, they kept making comments about how they would have individually wanted her at the funeral, but they were outvoted, yeah. which means nobody wanted her at the funeral. 
because that's passing the buck there and because you hear multiple characters say that in isolation. I would have voted yeah. for Obama a third time. <laughs> yep. Um, or even, uh, for example, how many characters went up to her and said, hey, you know, we're going to take care of you because you're like family. Mm-hmm. And how that is such a blatant lie, you know, but it's something they can feel good about because they don't have to do that but they will when it's not going to actually cost them anything yeah. because they're not going to give her that. I mean, I genuinely believe what they said, like that they were going to say, oh, yeah, here's five grand as a, re-, you know, it's something that means nothing to them. Thanks for your troubles. Right. But also is a slap in the face to, you know, what they probably could have actually helped her with. Something that was uh, mentioned, um, and it's pretty easy to pick up on, but I thought was just wonderful is that everyone. Uh, think she's from a different country. Yes. yes. Nobody uh, can actually. Nobody knows yep. her, where the family yeah. originated. Yeah. And yet one of the things they like about her in the back of their head, at least, <laughs> is the what they have to be uh, in their mind's eye as a specific cultural touchstone of something that's not them. So it's like they both fetishize the fact that they are very close to this, you know, uh, woman from an immigrant family and yet, they haven't looked nearly close enough as they thought because, like you said, you know, yeah. they, they have no idea where yeah. she's even from and whatnot. Um, and, but yeah, there's so much in here that's great. I mean, I have a little lines that get a call back uh, by the way it plays out, whether it's, um, you know, Christopher Plummer saying earlier in the movie that he wouldn't even know the difference between a prop knife and a real knife, mm. and that being one of yeah. his downfalls. And if you think like that, the, the donut monologue oh is my gosh, a yes. brilliant uh, comedic sequence in and of itself daniel uh craig owns that monologue but then i also kind of said to alex that i actually think it's got one other layer because technically i think um the phrase donut hole in a southern draw sounds like who done it backwards if you were to reverse because it's donut hole who done that like I'm just saying, like, I, okay. I just... Okay, I never thought about that. I don't know. Like, I know that might be a stretch, but I also feel like that is the kind of ideology that that monologue is literally saying, yeah. and we know that Ryan Johnson is not above wordplay because one of the biggest clues that is left out in the middle of the whole thing is uh, one of the servants having to call him Hugh, saying Hugh yes. instead of you. So, you know, I mean, if if he can get away with that, then I'm, I'm sticking with this... Uh, Donut hole and hole in the donut, like sounds like who in the donut, <clears throat> uh, in my head. So, uh, yeah, I'll you know, I definitely have even more to add, but I'll end it by saying in a year where we're getting a lot of movies, um, I think, um, like the new and recent Mr. Rogers movie where it's uh, preaching, you know, to be kind to others, be kind to yourself, um, that I was so happy that this movie is following that trend because it actually does it the best because it's not explicitly and solely about that but that's what sneaks up on you because the scene i never expected that i would actually get choked up at a movie like this but the scene in which uh benoit blanc is explaining the final pieces to her and said this only happened because you are a good nurse and a good person and once again that's ryan johnson taking something we've seen before which is the position explanation scene and somehow suffusing it with an emotional heft that goes beyond the question of who did it and right. and that's the thing is he knows that that is one of the least interesting questions about these kind of mysteries because you're never going to have a satisfying enough answer to make it worth 
focusing solely on. So have that be in the background and literally have the answer be that the person who did it technically didn't do it and failed at doing it, so therefore it needs to frame, you know what I mean, and so on and so forth, that that becomes almost irrelevant to the point where the point of the story and the, the point of the message and the whole, you know, journey is to get to the heart of the matter, which I think is figuratively and literally this, the character of Marta and what she represents and how we could all be a little bit more like her. Um, so here's a question that I have. Yeah. And I don't necessarily subscribe to this idea that I'm putting out there, but do you think that, um, do you think that, um, Christopher Plummer's character wanted something like this to play out? No. No? Okay. No, I, I mean, that's just my opinion, but I listened to a podcast where people were really trying to mm-hmm. pull on that thread yep. as if... I can understand thinking that while you are watching the movie, well, once the credits are over... Yeah, I was going to say... I'm sorry, but then you are digging too deep in a movie yeah. that has gone out of its way to tell you that there is such a thing as an objective reality in this movie. The characters can lie, Mm -hmm. but the movie will never present uh, its own reality in conjunction with the characters. And therefore, I just think that it's it's exactly what it said it was. It is he... If he did, let's just pull on that thread for a second, Mm -hmm. it would not have to be this convoluted. Right. You know what I mean? Like, there would not be an accidental death, a real murderous intent on top of an accidental... You know what I mean? Like, that can't be something you play. Well, and the other thing, too... Um, if for the first the 30 minutes, of course, you could definitely think that, that that's sure. maybe where it's going. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. Um, I think once you see the whole film play out, it would kind of take away from what the action that he did, which was just to really save her from uh, yeah. this idea. Yeah. And I, I don't know that's necessarily how he thought it would have played out or whatever. But in that situation, I mean, literally, 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 literally taking the bullet for somebody he cares about. So yeah. she doesn't have to fall on murdering him accidentally. It's like, yeah. it's a, it's a split second reaction to uh, the worst case scenario. And because he knows that there is no recourse for him to get out of this, mm-hmm. he's going to try to spare the only person he does care about and the whole, like, him saying, this is what we have to do, and then laying it all out, I mean, it's built into the plot. He is right. literally a murder novelist. I mean, he's written this book a million times before, you know? So, yeah. uh, so anyway, yeah, no, I, I'm not one of those oh. who... I, I, I'm not either, but yeah. I, it's interesting to think about. We've seen that movie a million sure. times. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason why I like that that did not become the answer is because that mm-hmm. would have been kind of... Also, too, uh, I do love how Ransom was just so shitty at whatever, like, couldn't pull this off. Yeah. He tried to pull it off and then, unfortunately, you know, just not very good at this either. Yeah. either so he thought he had it figured out, but nope. So, nope. Oh, poor Ransom. Not really. He's a piece of shit. Yeah. So, Sam... Uh, yeah, I, (laughs) I very much, um, adore this film. Mm. Um, I like you, Nick, um, I very much enjoy the whodunits. Um, initially when I had seen the trailers, um, like different versions of them and I, the first thing I thought of was it was a combination between the game of Clue 
um, which they do reference in the movie, mm-hmm. um, as well as the book The Westing Game, mm-hmm. um, because it's that sort of like game for finding out who gets the inheritance. Um, and that I very much enjoy that sort of um, material where um, I like to be involved. I like to be um, kind of challenged and I like to have like a film that makes me think um, like in in the moment in viewing it. Um, it keeps me engaged. Um, and that was something that I very much liked about this film. Um, and I think Alex, you said it best too, that the opening of the interviews, um, and starting it off on that foot, um, I started thinking right away of like, all right, let's see who like the reliable characters are. And then when you realize that none of them are that are first introduced, it, it makes for a very interesting setup for, a um a piece that relies so much on no on 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 finding out character intel from characters who can't provide reliable intel um and i i think one of the things i enjoy the most about this is that um you have these moments of like i think i know what's going on and then you're like oh no I don't know what's going on. Oh, nope. I got it now. Okay. I still don't know what's going on. Um, and I like that. Um, it's, it was done in a, in a smooth way. It wasn't like, uh, I could see straight through everything. Um, but at the same time, was it slightly predictable? Perhaps depending on how, how you were thinking in line with the movie. Um, but I um, and I know I've touched on this with other films that that I've watched with you guys and that we've reviewed as well. Um, I am a big aesthetic person, mm-hmm. and for this movie, I was absolutely enamored with the like texture variety, with the like richness of color, the different lighting in everything in different scenes. Speaking um, of lighting, oh, yep. I think it's the same one. Yeah, did you see that post? No, okay well you mind. go first this is a different one yeah. um <laughs> um the scene that i was almost like childishly like giggling about was when um blanc was out on the patio hidden mm-hmm. completely in shadow mm-hmm. and marta kind of stepped outside to kind of have a breather and he was in pure shadow. Um, and then all you see is like these very small snippets of him um, as he leans into the light. And I appreciate that there was no attempt to like, once you know that he's there to like brighten his yeah, face. No. There was it, no it attempt It still at remains that. dark. Right. Yeah. It was only on his behalf whether or not he leaned in, into or out of the light. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really beautiful. Well, yeah. What is the post that you're talking about? Oh, though? so there's a great post. Well, I'll, I'll really quickly say, too, that I absolutely love the lighting in that scene, too, especially because then it's super blunt and simple. Yeah. But but the fact that he's quite literally in the dark still because of her, yeah. because even though she's, you know, he's figuring out so much, he, it's literally because of her that he hasn't quite figured it all out. Right. If she had probably said it, like the, the real truth, she didn't lie because they made sure that she didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Um he probably could have came to that answer of what really happened sooner. with her and Hugh, I think, a lot sooner. Because um, then you had two people lying, but also telling the truth. Anyway, the post, though, that I was referring to, 
is um uh, there's a great social media post going by one of the production designers, I think, of the movie, mm-hmm. who took some photos behind the scenes explaining a method they use. So this is a real house, but the house, the interior, some of the rooms look like what they were shooting in, and some of the rooms are not that at all. Like, they're either unfinished or they're just, like, bare, you know, right. just nothing really. So they had to, you know, they built out that set or whatever. So there are moments in this movie in which... They use reflexive surfaces that are in, uh, you should call them diegetic, uh, in the sense that they're in-universe reflective surfaces, but the production designer created many, I don't want to say props, but sections of the interior sets to hold up so that when you look at the character, in their glasses or in something else that might be in the scene, you'll see what you knew to already be established in the wide shot that can never be reflected in there because it's too far away or anything like that. And it creates this insular image of something you're subconsciously processing. For example, at one of the scenes where like Jamie Lee Curtis is being interviewed, she's wearing glasses. Yeah. You see there's some wood paneling with these lights up on the very top, like almost touching the ceiling. He made he, like that went up against there, but then he, he also made one that was pretty much almost life size as well, but then held it up just directly ab- behind the camera and above it. So that's and reflection. it perfectly, yeah, and like little things like that, and that's practical. That's not CGI. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it. and they did that with all kinds of things. Whether they, that's how they rec- they did the hospital scene, where that was not a real hospital, in the right. s- well, obviously, but literally, it's like half a set. They're, the only part of that set that exists is the bench they're sitting on, and the um, uh, the desk behind them. So where the camera is is where technically we should see a whole wall of windows because it's like the outpatient or whatever. Yeah. They built windows to hold up so that they're reflecting off of uh, so Bonwa cool. Blanc's, you know. And so anyway, there's like four pictures of this practice being mm. like caught in still time. And it, it, it was amazing. Anyway, I love little things like that where exactly. it's like how much work somebody puts into what they're doing that isn't solely on a computer. And I like CGI yeah. when it's done right. Like that's cool. Yeah. But here it's like yeah. someone was like, and d- that in no way, it's not like if we didn't see the reflection, we'd be like, what the hell? Is she even <laughs> in this room? But it's, Are it's those cameras? <laughs> yeah. But it, it goes so much further to uh, very almost thoughtlessly uh, ingrain you into the experience that you're seeing, especially when the set is so darn good. So technically yeah. you want to see it in every fr- in every part of the frame. So. Anyway, I didn't mean yeah. to derail. No, I just I'm, thought you'd get a kick out of that. Yeah, I definitely have. Um, <laughs> and I think that um, that's something that even goes into one of the things that I especially like about this film is that there's a there's a sort of dedication to the smaller things of just the way that like some of the camera angles are, um, and even just um, how the characters interact in their relationships. Um, and it can be like the smallest of things where, I mean, I, I think like many folks, um, initially when, um, Ransom and Marta are at the restaurant and you're thinking, okay, maybe everything's getting worked out. Maybe he is kind of a, a, a decent guy. And, um, that sort of like play in that relationship was a, a nice turn, um, and was very like comforting to see that. Um, cause I was a little nervous when that was happening. I was like, all right, 
here's the couple that's gonna end up together and like that's what my initial assumption was mm-hmm. and then to see that it got turned on its head was yeah. very refreshing it's like the movie was looking at you and saying eat shit <laughs> That's what all movies say when they see me walk in the theater. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Ran- personal. <laughs> Obviously, Ransom ends up being much more devious than any of the other family members. Yeah. I mean, I think they all have their moments, but he's actually a killer. Um, yeah. And I will say, Even when though, he's not, he then still can't help himself yeah. from doing it. So he's like, yeah, that's like so uh, bad that... Even like when he could catch him like a break and be like, oh, you know what? Maybe because I didn't get caught and I didn't actually murder someone, this is a moment to really process these things. I, w- I will say, though, as someone who really does um, sort of view myself as a terrible person when it comes to taking joy in other people's struggles, um, I will say uh, one of my favorite moments of the whole film is the camera just focusing on him during the will reading. Um, yes. and that oh, yeah. smile where he's oh, just yes. like, right. mm-hmm. and he knows what's coming, but nobody else does. Um, and that is just a fantastic walk off line yes. when he's driving away with her and he kind of turns around and I can't remember exactly what he says, but he says something like, maybe you should, you know, be happy about it that you you don't have this money anymore and just have to, you know, look at the bright side of it. Oh man, that was great. Yeah. Oh God. What a, what a terrible person, but also he's doing, you know what? Um, Chris Evans, and he should do more of this because mm-hmm. he's you know done so much of Captain I, America. I was going to yeah. say it really worked to his benefit to very much go in the opposite direction, yeah. But it's... also use that charm a little bit because mm-hmm. when that diner scene is happening before he really turns it on her, as far as like, oh, I fed you this. There's a false sense of security where anybody could think like, oh, well, at least someone's being nice to her because it's Chris Evans. You know, like, no matter what we know yes. about that character, we're like, oh, but, you know. It's so. that natural assumption that, like, the the actor will kind of fall in line with previous roles yes. that they've they've done. Like, I don't know about you guys, but every time I see Tom Cruise, I'm like, yeah, it's probably going to be like a Top Gun sort of thing that's going on yeah. one way or another. Because um, you haven't seen Magnolia. <laughs> I have not. No. Yeah, he's a he's a great person in that movie. <laughs> uh, but that was he had daddy issues. <laughs> uh, I think that was something um, that I enjoyed seeing was um, that difference of character. Um, and as someone who has like performed on stage and things like that, I think personally the most entertaining characters that I've been or that I've played are the ones that are so far away from who I am as a natural mm. person. Um, one of my favorites was I got to play like a villain sort of role, and that was that was fun, and it was refreshing. So you don't see to... yourself as a... It depends on the situation. Yeah. Oh. She's like, uh, she no. got to be who she actually really is. <laughs> uh, as she was playing Corella DeVille in a 101 Dalmatians adaptation. I have adaptation. seen her take puppies to the tannery, so... <laughs> No, never. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know why you would take the puppies to the tannery. They're just going to make you a leather jacket, and I think she wants more of a fur coat. Oh, yeah. I actually don't like fur, nor like faux fur. Hmm. So, Ooh. fun fact. I guess um, I'll return the Christmas puppies. <laughs> so what I, what, I was, for yourself. what I was going off of, though, with that is that um, Chris Evans is 
wonderfully playing the charming asshole. Yes. Uh, the only person I really think in Hollywood right now who would be able to do it better than him is still the master of that uh, universe, which is Ray Fiennes, who is by far one of the best person people at playing the delightful, charming British piece of shit. Um, <laughs> so, but oh man, he was just so good in this role, and mm. I'm so glad he was cast in that. Chris Evans' physique, though. Like, I'm not even just talking about compared to Ray Fiennes, but has such a boyish quality yes. that he's able to play a part that I think is, like, younger than him. And I don't even know yeah. if I mean that age-wise, but just someone who seems like he's still growing inside. Maturity, Maturity level. Yeah. yeah. So, without even speaking before he does, and then he, you know, is immature even then as well. But mm-hmm. Ransom, is that you? Back <laughs> already? How about that? Yeah. <laughs> How about that? She killed me. I absolutely <laughs> like. She was a spotlight. <laughs> and I that love film. that they never flipped that on its head yeah. and made it like, oh, actually, she could speak the whole time and she knew everything. Yeah. Like once again, the movie laying out everything as is, which is yeah. she does have an important clue to give, and she said it. You know what I mean? Right. And that's it. Like she is who she is. And- I was just gonna say to go along with my thoughts earlier about this being a. Somewhat charming, dramatic film at a lot of parts to its core. Um, Blanc's conversation with her is actually just straight through of him being like, uh, uh, no one's ever said anything to you about grieving about your child dying. So I'm just going to say that. And it does feel genuine. Like he's not just saying that because he wants to find out what information he has. Like, I feel like he does. But he also, if he doesn't say anything, he's just doing that to be a nice person. Oh, yeah. No, and I think at the end of the day, he pretty much knows the only people who need to suffer through his shit, you know, interrogate or whatever are the people who probably deserve it. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you you guys catch the significance of the baseball? Because I absolutely love that. Okay, you're going to have to fill me in a little bit. So, and the way it plays throughout the whole film and what that is. So, the baseball is introduced in the scene in which Christopher Plummer is talking to Don Johnson when he confronts him about infidelity. And after Christopher Plummer leaves the room and leaves it on his desk where it always is, Don Johnson picks it up, throws it out the window. So, the next time you see the baseball, (laughs) Bunuel Blanc... uh, finds it uh, on the ground when he's going on the ground. Outside. He picks it up, and the dog brings him the, whatever you call it, the piece the of wood. Ladder, the ladder. So yeah. he gives the dog the balls because he throws it across the yard. Mm-hmm. Because he throws it to the ball, the dog goes to the next available person that he's probably way more familiar with and brings it to Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis knows this to be her father's ball, brings it, back to her father's desk. Uh, finds the note. That's where she finds the note, knowing instantly what kind of a note it is. So literally, that is karma. <laughs> what goes around yeah. comes around. And where he thought that no one would find out because he didn't know it was an invisible ink, he is also the literal person who created, d- created this whole cycle of downhill well, and also, too, that was that. a really nice... Um... But yet it's spread throughout the entire... Oh, yeah. Instead yes. of, like, it's not like it's a montage. So, uh, weirdly... Sorry. Oh, yeah, no, go ahead. Weirdly enough, I was trying to figure out when the baseball was put back onto the desk in one of those final scenes, and I know the dog had it in, like, that moment where, like, everyone is, like, facing Marta, um, and 
you know, they're expecting her to recant everything. Um, and I was trying to figure out, like, what the significance of that baseball was because it had appeared previously, and then especially in that final scene where it focuses on it for for a beat, I kept trying to, like, figure out what its intention was. And I think that is probably the, the cleanest way of, like, bringing it back around, which is really nice that it's not, like, a... It's not super obvious, but it's it's not like subtle where you're like what did i even see did i even see it yeah is the baseball real is this a <laughs> phantom baseball no. does it really is it really just a secret alex you were gonna say something i'm so sorry um that is okay i do like uh that the jamie lee curtis um sort of um expression of how you have to find out how to communicate with dad because <laughs> He really never is a real communicator with anybody, but there are special ways that he'll communicate with everybody. You just have to find out what it is. Um, and it is good that that literally is paid off yeah. with the actual note that she has to have yeah. the mm-hmm. flame under to have the text come up through it. Which is um, secondhand, I think, if you're in the family. But or I maybe also, just for her and, and him, Well, too. I was going to say, I do yeah. think... Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying is true, that it's literally just a thing between the two of them. But I also think what she's essentially, I think I think there's something to the idea that outsiders don't really come in the circle, even when they think they are, like Don Johnson. Well, and he thinks he's, yeah. you know, he's good to go after seeing that. He's like, ha-ha! Yep. Almost like a, you know, I feel like he's almost like snidely whiplash there for a moment. He's <laughs> like, oh, I've done it, ha-ha. Uh, so speaking of Don Johnson, yeah. I wanted to mention him. Um, he has multiple moments in this film that are just delightful. I mean, he is really, and this is maybe not great for him as a person, but he is really playing a 21st century racist really well in a lot of different films here recently. And, oh man, he is just knocking it out of the park in this one for me. Oh, yeah. uh, just the idea of the family discussion, which... Uh, unfortunately feels very familiar, even though I've never personally partaken in anything like that with my family. Um, but just this discussion of talking about it and saying, no, 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 I'm not racist, but... Um, oh, and ha- having her take upon the responsibility, Marta, yeah. to somehow make his argument for him yes. is one of like the worst things, I think, committed in this movie, just as far as like social you so, know, cues and whatnot. So there are yes. two things, though, that Don Johnson does um, that are physical acts that mm-hmm. I just, like, they were very simple, but I loved them. Um, handing her the plate yes. mm-hmm. after uh, having the discussion, and it was definitely not focused on. It almost felt to me as if it was not an American director who filmed that scene because, like, it's mm-hmm. clearly in the frame, but it is not focused on. It is yeah. just a handing of it. And Usually, whatever. you'd get a cut to her face. Yeah, but it was. I thought that was brilliant. Um, and an even simpler act that happens that is even pay attention to less. Uh, that I thought was just wonderful is when Ransom is being arrested at the end and he has his money clip out, like he's going to try to bribe the police officers. Um, That is so pathetic and just wonderful at that point where, you know, this is almost like desperation territory and he has nothing left but this wad of money because their whole estate has been given away to someone who deserves it more. Also, too, 
loved someone's line uh, later in the film when they're talking about, oh, this this estate has been in our family. They're like, he bought this in the 80s. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is yeah. not some long-standing... This is my legacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, just so many little things like that that go throughout this film that really add up to a wonderful product here. Yeah. Uh, but Don Johnson's great here. I'm guessing He's you weren't a big fan of this, but I actually really enjoyed Tony Collette in it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It was not like a belly laugh character or whatever, but I thought she was actually good to have to punctuate some of the comedy because she had a much different uh, persona than the rest. I mean, they all have their own whatever, but she's that kind of vapid uh, faux liberalism uh, was just, I thought, a really good touch to like end a scene on every once in a while. Um, because, boy, out of everybody here, she's clearly, I think, besides maybe Daniel Craig, having the most fun in her role, and I, I appreciated that. Sometimes I just, it's not so much the role as so much as like the actor behind them yeah. and and what they're doing with it, and I, I, I ate it up. I will say, in this, I mean, people are just doing their jobs, so whatever, but I actually, as a person, just kind of felt good that she was able to be in a role like this after being in Hereditary last no, year. No, that's the thing, yeah. though. That's kind of why I thought it was, like, good for you. You yeah. earned this paycheck. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to... Like, she's good in it, but I... also, like, take a breath, Yeah, you know? Yeah, like, you just spent however many six weeks or yep. eight weeks or whatever filming that film a couple of years ago just having to be miserable and depressed I mean, she was just entire... an unbelievable where she played the female uh, FBI detective or whatever detective uh, mm-hmm. investigating rape cases Ugh. she was a tough and she was so good in it but you know what I mean like this right. she's been doing a lot of serious Heavy. work lately that um, for her to be uh, Gwyneth Paltrow in this murder mystery <laughs> was wow. very... Oh, come on. Well, yeah. Everybody said it. It's pretty much right there for you. Yeah. She almost but doesn't say the word goop, so... <laughs> uh, I did actually thought did actually think that she was pretty good in this. Oh, okay. um, I, I liked this idea of her being like, oh, I didn't do that. And mm-hmm. it's just like, no, it's right here. It's on the paper. And he's like, no, I didn't do that. No. That and her like uh, literal childlike uh, inability to just distinguish between normal conventions. Like when he's like, he says something and she's like, no, we can't ask or no, we can't do that. Or mm-hmm. like, and, you know, it's just like that kind of like, Holy shit! You know, like you—that would be awful at a party. Yeah. Well, but, I think all I—I I will I mean, say they all would be. I will say, um, and it's definitely played for the plot for this film that we don't want to give too much detail about what actually happened at this party. Um, but I would have been in for a little more time spent with actually all the characters in a room together before the investigation, even though I wouldn't want it to take away right. from the intrigue of the plot that plays out here. Um, I think that all these performers are actually quite good and the characters they're playing are good. It would have been nice to see a little more interaction between them. Okay, so I'll say this. This is my one nitpick of the movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas I actually think it was the right amount because the only time the movie ever started to slightly lose me or get a little bumpy for my taste was when every character was in one room and they started to do the it's 2019 <laughs> shouting at each other because the things they were saying is like 
nobody talks like that. Um, mm. And I get that they're exaggerated caricatures, mm. but there's still a way, considering how trenchant the mystery highlights a real problem in our society right now and our inability to uh, grasp it or face it um, and how good that is done. It's it's unfortunate that every once in a while in this movie we just have characters literally shout out things like Snowflake and, um, you know, like when they keep making jokes about the kid from It going in to masturbate to... Uh, uh, there is definitely a funny payoff line from... I think I think it's from Daniel Craig about that, where he's... You don't remember that? No. I, no, I don't. No, he just... He's, he, he's go, he's on, when he's on his rant towards the end of the movie, he was sitting in there masturbating in the bath. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, yeah, because yeah. Daniel Craig's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they were, there's just like a two-minute stretch at one point and a few other times when... They sound more like political cartoons yeah. than they do the characters in the story that is being presented. And um, it didn't bother me because the movie was quite good throughout. But that was where I was like, you know, I don't know. Like, um, it, it almost reminded me, it's like, what if the characters in Parasite, because this is a movie that shares a lot with that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what if the characters in Parasite literally sat around saying, like, let's eat the rich or, <laughs> or vice versa, you know. And so, anyway. I think kind of to go off of what you were saying about the um, the party scenes, um, there's, and I don't know if this necessarily plays into what you're getting at either, um, but there's kind of a, a shallowness to, to every, to the character development for a, a variety of the characters. And I, I'm still on the fence of whether or not that was beneficial or detrimental to right. like what, the story has to offer. Like I, I appreciate the, the depth that we find within Marta, um, especially when she is explaining about when you get to see the emotion that she has for um, caring for Fran in that moment. Um, and even like how she responded to um, the, um, to Christopher Plummer's character um, telling her like, don't worry about this. I've got this, like just go. I don't want you getting caught. Um, but there, um, I worry that like some of the, some of the individuals were a little too like cardboard cutout. No, I would Um, completely agree. And a little, like, I, I would have appreciated a little bit something more. And I think those party scene or that party scene of like seeing it from all their different perspectives, um, could have been a good chance to kind of flush out those those or to flesh out those individuals a little bit more um and and give them a little bit more persona oh yeah but i also think that it was intentional to Mm -hmm. to not they're definitely shallow characters and people so therefore i I agree with you and that's part of the reason why i still pretty much love this movie because i think it does work um, it just could have been better because there's a way to do shallowness without shallow, I think, placeholders and yeah. whatnot. Um, mostly about some of those scenes, like the party scene. Uh, this movie is so concerned with and good at doling out information, whether it's on a character level or a plot level, that that was one of the few times where I felt like I was watching a scene in this movie where I wasn't being told something I didn't already know. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was what made it stick out. It's not so much that I was like, this is awful, but it, it stuck out in a way 
that even some of the most mundane scenes where I'm like, I need to know this, like this is changing my mind about a character, or this is zeroing in on a character, or this is telling me everything I knew about a character was wrong, or right, you know. There I was like, yes, the rich family is shouting off mouthpieces and BuzzFeed catchphrases at each other because they are politically different. Like, it's just whatever. Um, Yeah. uh, One thing I was going to say that I liked was, um, like, when the the knives were, like, out. (laughs) And... um, they're like, who let the knives in? They're like, no, 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 they're out. And that was that was a good scene. Okay. Um, this is something I had asked to Sad about when we went to see the theater or went to the movie in the theater, and unfortunately he's not here, so we can't talk about it more in depth. Oh God. <laughs> um, do you think um, like Keith Stanfield Stanfield was uh, was 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 used well here, or was he just kind of casted because he's a hot name right now? I think he was used well in the sense that I appreciated his presence. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think he brought something to that role, even okay, if good. that role in and of itself is not big by any means. Um, he is filling a trope, and this movie is full of tropes, whether it's the the flaying of that trope or the putting it on display. Mm-hmm. Um, but literally Poirot, uh, you know, has his own inspector that he's always basically walking right behind saying, uh, nope, that's not right. You know what I mean? So there almost always has to be an official authority. So that way, when the private detective has done his business, it's literally like a grand showcase. And there's a reason for him to not have to actually do anything. <laughs> Uh, I do love, though, that he was just right all along, and he's like, nope, this was a suicide. There's no reason to think of this otherwise. And he's like, somebody paid me the money for this, so it has to be. And it's like, y'all getting played. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, This is exactly what this is. And he was right. And I, I, I do appreciate that, this idea that just the regular police are always kind of like, thought less of because they're just here they're doing this every day they don't really care about this well, well and no, even they... from the outside looking in like why should they care i mean just when you well, look at this family and i mean that obviously morally they should and just to do their job but like you can understand from a narrative level where it's like there's no real time crunch here maybe the best person in that family is dead no but but logically though like everything well and, and, it, it, and it all works out yeah it does but like, just the ex- explanation of him having his throat slit and there being no yeah. other puddles in the area. Like, yes, they find information later on about her coming in or out, but the actual event that took place of him dying from his throat being slit, that is a suicide, and yep. they right. were correct. So, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I kind of like that little detail oh, yeah. a little bit okay. as well. Yeah. Um, one other thing I was going to say. Oh, boy. Oh, oh boy. Mm-hmm. It was a real thing, not like the Knives Out thing. Okay. Um, Are you sure? No, I'm not sure at all. <laughs> really quick, what, yes. did, what did we think about that wonderful hand-to-hand competition between Chris Evans and Michael Shannon? Um, that was really oh, yeah. pathetic. That was great. That was very good. Yeah. Just, we're going to go. And, um, just hearing that was much better than the... Not showcase one but it was a very big deal i think in the trailer of like ford versus ferrari where 
the two men when he, you know when he shows up uh, oh, yeah. on the yard and it's like ah oh, look at these middle aged men mm-hmm. thinking that they're tough or whatever <laughs> yeah when it was just rolling around in the grass but no it just actually looked like a weird way that people would actually fight because they don't know how to fight yeah and then that scene also leads to Michael Shannon's one showcase moment where he gets to belittle him a little bit you know no 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 oh man he's great mm-hmm. every time this is one of his best roles in. A while. A while, yeah. I mean, it's not like a big role, but it's good. I honestly was thinking of a uh, complete unknown seeing that at Sundance four years ago now. And mm-hmm. just that just very boring movie that he was in where he yeah. was not playing the usual role that he played. I was say, it wasn't really his fault. No. But, just, but yeah. Yeah. And he got to pretty much be himself here, which is great. Mm-hmm. So anything else we want to discuss before final ratings? I know, Nick, you said you had something, but you kind of kind of lost it there. Yeah, I forgot it. Okay. So um, I guess I'll go first. And I thought this was a very good film. Uh, I really enjoyed the storytelling that happened throughout the entire film. Uh, I thought the comedy here was very strong. But again, uh, the dramatic through line throughout the entirety of this film, I thought was actually its strongest point. Uh, you know, mix that in with wonderful performances, really solid cinematography, especially in the first 30 or so minutes of this film. And actually, um, it kind of came and went throughout the film, but I thought the score, especially early on in this film, was really good. I felt like it had this actual, like, sharp feeling to it, which is interesting because, you know, knives out. But, uh, what? (laughs) Well, what? That was great. Um, but in the early on portions of this film, uh, just a wonderful kind of tight uh, score that was happening in the background that I, I really enjoyed. And um, altogether, this is just a wonderful film. So I uh, appreciate it and am interested in seeing it again and looking forward to uh, seeing it the next time, uh, probably when it comes out on home video. And I would give this a four out of five. Well, that's funny because that's the score i'd give it oh. oh four out of five okay and uh yeah i very much enjoyed it i really think this is uh not one of my like top five movies of the year necessarily but it's honestly probably my favorite movie experience of watching in a theater not mm. necessarily because of the crowd because i didn't have that many people in my but like being in that dark room, I felt like I was most rewarded for putting my phone down and actually giving myself over to it because there are some movies that are having a conversation with the audience, and this is absolutely one of them. And if you're listening and paying attention, uh, it is enthralling to uh, live through. And of course, especially when it's anchored by a cast like this, which is one of the, I think, probably the greatest assembled cast in this year. Um, like, just as far as bodies in a room, you know. Uh, maybe not everybody was utilized to their potential, but it is an ensemble film, and everyone has to yeah, fulfill their... I would say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had a really solid cast as well, but in terms of a collection in a small I was going to say, area, it's a little too heavy in that movie on the emphasis of the two leads, I think, whereas even Benoit Blanc and Marta, are, even they're kind of our de facto protagonists, mm-hmm aren't ever threatening to take over the proceedings. No. You know, whereas that movie, that movie threatens to take over the lead 
performance uh, with its own supporting because of how good one person is in that movie, while everyone else is amazing in it as mm-hmm. well. Anyway, yeah. but I, I see what you mean, though. That is a very... Well, I, I keep forgetting some people who are in it, like Al Pacino and whatnot. Uh, it's a strong cast, but so oh. is this one. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I actually think behind it would probably be the Irishman, because just... Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of men and the women don't have lines. <sighs> that was a real controversial uh, thing. That which people, actually I'm is, making fun of a real thing and yeah. not actually being the voice piece for See, said sentiment. And you know what? That's the difference right. between people who have real opinions and people who want to have hot takes. Yep. Is that they're like she doesn't have any lines in this. This movie hates women, and then actually she's giving one of the best performances in the whole film. Yep. Really, not just because she has no lines, but those two actresses are just giving fantastic acting performances. So what there the are fuck? so many movies out there where women are being marginalized. Like that is a real thing. Mm-hmm. So go find it. Like <laughs> don't look for what you think is the quote unquote cue. You know, whatever. Anyway. Mm. Knives out, though. God, when those knives come out. Uh, like, you're never going to get them back in. <laughs> Especially if you get vomited on the face. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, uh, you know, we didn't that really talk about it. a great scene. And also, can we talk about what are the chances that he chooses the one knife? I think they're all fake. That is a fake knife. I think they're all fake, probably. Or but, stage, stage but, prop, rather, but... But I, um, he just doesn't know the difference, so, so it doesn't matter. Would absolutely. Yeah. I, my imagination, my head cannon of that set piece, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that thing is, uh, <laughs> the wheel of knives. Yeah, um, even though it doesn't spin. We don't know, don't, don't know that. I was just yeah, going to say. Don't know, Easy though. Now. It certainly <laughs> spins a tangled web in the movie. Jesus. What was your original thought? It spins oh, a donut. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, my head cannon. It has a hole in it, too. Yeah, who done it? Sorry. <laughs> and the donut's hole has a donut. <laughs> That's pretty great. Yep. Um my head canon is that that entire smorgasbord is like fifty fifty. Like there are real knives and prop knives, and mm-hmm. like because I feel like that would make sense as to why he would just think that there's a knife there for him to grab. But I think, of course, he's an idiot, and as we know, he I would... I kind of like the idea that it's all fake only and because he just that. has no idea that those are not real knives at all because he's really never spent any time with his grandfather. Well, I mean, that's the thing is that he wouldn't know the difference, so therefore, whether he right. picks a fake one, you should know the difference. You might not be able to see the difference, but the yeah. moment you grab one, you should still know. But that's the thing. These people don't know the weight of anything precious. I thought you were definitely going to bring it back around to how Blanc brought up that Martin knew the difference even without looking at the labels of like which is which that was great. because of the weight. That's true. Um, I didn't think about that. But yeah, see? That was great. And then also, too, um, the playing of the game that they're playing and just saying that, well, you were really good, but she was just a little bit better always. <laughs> it's just the fact that that was able oh, to come full yeah. circle the actual then. Yeah. Board game. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And I do like that Blanc then. Uh, pushes over the board. He's like, mm, "This doesn't sound like that Lord of a Thud," and it's like, "Ah, oh boy, your story is falling apart." I love that the sound mixing is that good that it, it is. Lets, it lets you play that game along with it. Mm-hmm. So, like before Blanc figured that out, 
you can hear the difference because mm-hmm. that was one of my first big like that definitely is not a loud sound you know yeah. what I mean but, and so I love that everything is completely intentional and whatnot um, anyway four out of five stars for me big fan and uh, you know what I think I'm gonna put the knives back in oh they're back out uh, again uh, I don't know how to follow up to that. Speechless. Um, But, uh, this was a fantastic film to me. Um, it checked a lot of boxes that I enjoy about films, um, just in general. Um, there was such a good mix of humor and drama and, um, even like suspense to it. And there was it hit everything that I wanted it to hit, which was nice for once, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't feel like I was, um, that the movie was oversold in any way. Um, And there's a lot of nuances about it that I am excited, that make me excited to want to watch it again. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially like knowing like with the baseball detail now. Um, So I'm excited to, to like see it again when it comes out on on DVD or or VHS or whatever nowadays it'll come out on it. Good luck like finding cassette. a VHS. Um, yeah. Well, who knows? Um, the VHS player is in our <laughs> detail too of it. Yes. Like, why does he have this terrible security system at his compound? Yeah, yeah that was <laughs> this, great. This old man who's like, well, we record everything. Lucky for you, I pressed record that night. It's like what? Um, oh boy. That. That was great. Um, <laughs> there's so many things that are, to me, that are so well done. Um, I would give this a four and a half out of five. Oh, nice. Um, I think there's a lot that um, I I appreciate about the acting performances that everyone gave. Um, it never, I never felt like anyone was just sort of like cast in the cast just because they wanted to have that face in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it truly, there was a good chemistry that everyone had together. Like, even though those big scenes maybe could have been toned down a little bit less, um, I think that there was still good chemistry with the folks that were chosen for it. Um, and and I think um, Daniel Craig's character was a delight. Um I know after the film, my boyfriend and I were talking about, like, we were anticipating, like, different accents to come from him initially because he was quiet the entire time Mm. for those first scenes. Um, And we had both banked on that it would be, like, a strong New York accent. Mm. Um, But that we were pleasantly surprised with that, like, Louisiana, Alabama. This is his second southern southern, uh, accent in Which uh, is crazy because they're actually completely distinct from each other. Yeah. Like, that voice he does for Joe Bang mm-hmm. is nothing. That is, like, the Deep South uh, redneck KFC. <laughs> and this, you know... What's interesting about uh, Benoit Blanc is that it's almost a joke because his name sounds like, you know, Hercule Poirot. Like, it's, it's a French, almost, you know, pretentious name. But there's actually the one dialect he chooses, which is Cajun, Southern, you know, whatnot has a reason as to why he could actually conceivably have that name and it not be a weird esoteric backstory. Yeah. So I love that that completely fits in. Mm. So yeah, there's um, 
and I just keep thinking back to um, even like the the aesthetic of it of the the different colors and um, the the richness of of everything in in the rooms and in the house and in the set um, and how that plays in conjunction with like costuming and mm. um, even just like the the lighting um, that comes in like through the windows and um, that's something that I've definitely weirdly thought about of like seeing those images, um, especially during the interviews where the um, wheel of knives uh, <laughs> is behind everybody in a very like Game of Thrones esque mm. manner. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I definitely think that was very like dog whistling. Yeah, like you want to see people vie for power. Yes. What says that in our media <laughs> landscape more than the throne of you know swords and yeah. whatnot? <laughs> So, but overall, um, I would definitely watch this movie again and again. Yep. So it's a uh, it's it's a delight. I think this is a you know this is a weird film that I feel like, and who knows where this will go um, in the next ten years. But I feel like this is a film that could end up being a crowd pleaser that keeps playing over and over again on cable TV at some point down the road. As it should. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. High praise for Knives Out. If uh, anyone out there has any thoughts on it, whether they be positive or negative, always feel free to send them on to us. One, send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at filmtankshow. And you can find our episodes on filmtankshow.com or on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Spotify. All kinds of different places. So we're we're not everywhere, but we're in a lot of places. So there we are. I uh, mentioned uh, coming up on our next week here, right before uh, Christmas time, we're going to do an episode on Love Actually. Looking forward to that. And uh, who knows? Uh, I'm, it won't be very heated because uh, even though I still enjoy it, I'm on the same wavelength as Nick on a lot of parts of the film. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what Toussaint, if he shows up, and Anna think about it um, as uh, I believe they both have never seen it before. So interested to see what they will think about it. So that's coming up on our next episode. Sam, as always, a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me all the time. Thanks, No problem. Glad you're able to hang out with us. It's great. (laughs) So from Sam and Nick and myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for listening to us here at Film Tank. Catch up with you next time. It's my knife, and it's out forever. I ain't gonna live forever. Who's that that voice? (laughs) That was my Bon Jovi voice. Oof. Okay. <laughs>